This episode and every episode of A Beer With is recorded live in Dice Fuse Studios. If you want to check us out, hit us up online, www.diffuzedstudios.com. Get onto the contact form, let us know what you need, and we'll make sure we can sort you out. So on the episode, I've got a Voxer. Let's run that music and get right into it. Welcome back, guys. This is another episode of A Beer With. I'm your host, Jai, and today on the episode, I have Avaxa. Now, Avaxa's name is Lena, and we talk about so much on this episode. We talk about her fashion line, we talk about how she got started in the music industry, um, we talk about a little bit about community radio, uh, some of the gigs that she's got coming up, traveling to Berlin, uh, we talk about her live sets. There's so much in this one. It's packed full of really awesome stuff. Um, I really love this chat. And probably my favorite topic that we've chatted on this podcast would be when I talk to Avaxa on this episode that she brings up a little bit about um, like quantum mechanics, the E8 theory, which is really interesting. Um, definitely go check that out. But yeah, this is a um, really great episode uh, with Lena. Thanks to her for coming on. Um, so yeah, let's just get straight into it, guys. So as always, sit back, crack a beer if you have one, and enjoy the episode. This is A Beer with a Voxer. Alright, cool. Cheers. Cheers. Expecting big things from you on this episode, because not only do you have your own radio show, so you're probably like the expert compared to me, but you're the first girl guest we've had, or the first female guest. So... Expecting some big things for you on this episode. God, I don't think it makes much of a difference, but when I'm interviewing people, I'm the one always asking the questions and I don't really speak about my myself and my activities too much. So um, this is a bit of a different experience for me as well. Yeah. I mean, like I've done other interviews and other podcasts, but I'm really excited to be here. It's yeah. a really good episode. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool to, even just before we started, um, some of the stuff you were telling me, some tips that you use um, as an interviewer were really cool. Um, and so how long have you been doing your show for? Like that uh, I do on a 4 show, Z. Yeah, yeah, I do a show on 4 Z called Hyperfluid, and it kind of looks at the spectrum of electronic re- music ranging anywhere from like ambient and neoclassical all the way through to melodic house and techno. Um, and I've been doing it for about six or seven months. Um, we just entered into our second season because the way 4 Z operates is that you reapply for your show every six months, um, okay. and they kind of like assess how well it's gone in the past and how well they think it's gone into the future. So. I was very, very happy to be accepted for a second season on there. Like, I love 4 Z. They're an amazing community. And, um, yeah, like, especially I kind of came to them at a time where I really valued that sense of community because um, especially in the music industry, I find that it can be, like, quite isolating at times or, you know, you're doing a lot of work at home in your bedroom, um, a lot of freelance sort of work. And so you know, when I first started there, I was going there three days a week. I was doing, I was on the production team. I was on the amplifier and also doing hyperfluid. The amplifier is like a, a drive time radio state radio show. So we like heaps of interviews, like, um, yeah, like we interviewed like Safia, ballpark music the other day. Um, so a lot of like drive time, indie pop sort of, you know, classic radio sort of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. hyperfluid is a lot different in that, um, the first hour is a two hour show. So the first hour will be like podcast style interviews getting really in depth trying to get right inside the mind of um a lot of the interesting people who I have on the show week to week and then the second hour is 
sets, no talking. So like just back-to-back music all mixed in really nicely, either provided by the um, person who I'm interviewing or if I'm interviewing like, like I've had like scientists on there, videographers, um, just anyone I find I find interesting or has interesting thoughts, even if they're not um, professionally uh, doing something kind of amazing, even if they just got, if they're just a really interesting person and they've got stories to share and they've got thoughts to tell, um, then I'll uh, put a mix in behind and there's always, you know, in the first hour when there's the podcast, I'll bit, there'll be like music behind it and, um, you know, premiering tracks of, of the artist and, um, you know, trying to spotlight a lot of the interesting electronic music that we have in Queensland and in Australia, um, you know, like female music, um, because we have a lot of really amazing electronic music especially in Brisbane that doesn't get highlighted on mainstream media like radio a lot mm-hmm. um so that's one of the one of the biggest goals of not just hyperfluid as a show but of four triple z as a community radio station to spotlight a lot of the amazing music that we have in Queensland yeah cool and how often is that show on the hyperfluid one like is that every single ev- week baby every week what, every- what time so if anyone's listening and they want to tune in when, when can we when can we tune in on tuesdays 10 till 12 p.m yeah and i spend all of monday preparing for it and you know often on monday i'm just like i like i love it like i do love the show and i think it serves a really important place but a lot of the time, like on, it'll be like Monday morning, I would have had gigs on the weekend and I'm, I'm coming back and I'm just like, oh man, I've got to spend, you know, like hours editing uh, a radio show and making it all yeah. all beautiful. And um, some, some weeks you just don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like with this show, like I don't really edit a lot. So I'm kind of happy that, um, yeah, that I don't have to sort of do that on a Monday. Even the editing I have to do is a bit, a bit annoying. So yeah. Um, and it is, I have, over you know we're up to episode 30 I think and so I have streamlined my process a little bit um my production has gotten better like some of the early episodes <laughs> like the levels because it's a two-hour show you don't really have time yeah. to check a lot of um the things in every minute of of the episode and so a lot of things were just <laughs> yeah. just awful and looking back on it I'm like I'm, I'm so embarrassed that that went out into the world yeah um but I have developed a lot of tricks not just to make the show itself sound sonically better but also to decrease the amount of time that I had to spend on it so it's yeah. more of a seamless workflow and yeah I get into that flow state and I um yeah just make it the best of it can be yeah cool. um and you know like I've pre-recorded a lot, a lot of my stings and intros and yeah. Um, so the, the process has gotten, gotten a lot better. Yeah. Awesome. For So for anyone out there who maybe like wants to get into like community radio or maybe mm-hmm. wants to, you know, how did you start on that? You said you started sort of in the production team and stuff or, or yeah. you were doing like the amplifier thing. So how did that sort of start? Did you just sort of hit them up and say, how do I get involved or yeah. what, what happened? I kind there? of started with, um, all three of those things at a very similar time. I first started on the amplifier which was really good um, because there's three of us on the show. Okay. Um, yeah. Charlotte Jones, who is just this like wizard, so organized, um, you know, very, very prepared and so good at talking. Like, you know, if, if she doesn't know what to say, she'll just slow down, take a breath. And like she, she's been doing it for a long time and she really knows what she's doing. She's studying like media and communications and like she is just an absolute delight to work with. Yeah. And like every every week she comes in and she's got she's got like this very much colourful sixties, seventies sort of style. <laughs> she's got this beautiful orangey red hair. Um, so we do it with her, and then uh, we have another co-host, Tom Tom, 
who is every week head to toe white. Um, he's also a musician, um, more in the the hip hop, um, indie pop sort of sphere. Amazing, yeah. like a really talented producer, and records for other artists a lot. Like that's part of that's one of his main things. Um, and he is just such a charismatic guy. Like I, yeah. I feel like <laughs> I've gotten more confident just by exposure to him. Yeah, and so. Like, but yeah, every week, head to toe white, Charlotte Jones is, like, sticking to her, like, 70s, 80s style. Yeah. And then I come in, and I'm pretty much always in head to toe black. Yeah. And there's one of the, like, one of the things that I really appreciate is a commitment to, like, a solid style. Yeah. And, and the three of us all are very committed yeah. to our independent styles. Yeah. And, you know, like, me and me and Tom Tom, we're the contrasting white and black, and then Charlotte is just the colourful glue that, the like, of holds everything together. <laughs> yeah. And um it's a really like really interesting and beautiful dynamic yeah that's cool um, and it looks like you said like the community it looks really like i've seen some of your instagram um stories and stuff with like you know all the crew there and it looks like a really cool crew like i saw something yeah, that you guys time. were having like snack like a snacks out in the yeah, break a, room like a little, party, little like, party going away thing because you're going like overseas or something yeah heading, soon. Over, yeah, heading over to europe but before i go into that like you did um <laughs> you did ask about Kind of how to get in it, which I got a bit, yeah, a little yeah, bit sidetracked. Yeah. Um, and the, like the beautiful thing about community radio is it is a very welcoming and inclusive environment. Like we have all types there, and I really mean like all types. We have um, like you know, there's, there's there's blind people, there's transgender folk. Like there is a there's such a wide variety, and it's a really inclusive environment. So anyone wanting to get involved in radio or particularly in community radio, um, just get in contact and get involved because even if you know, you may not necessarily be confident enough to be on air. Like there are always roles and there are always things that you can do and um, you can always go go and support your local radio station. And yeah. you know, there's like there's like volunteer days, there's like um like they they put on massive events. Um so even if you're not necessarily interested in radio but just interested in events, media, um, anything like that. Get in touch, get involved. Like, I suppose that's like anything in the music industry, really, isn't it? Like if you mm-hmm. want, like in events and, mm-hmm. and and gigs and stuff. Like if you want to be involved, you just gotta get in contact with someone and just mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, yeah, get in contact and put your hand up. Like, oh, I'll work for free. I'll do whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah cool. So. If we go back then to you going overseas. Yeah, heading overseas. Uh, I want to hear about this because this sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, overseas in the start of um, August. So I'll be based based in Berlin. I've been I've been over to Berlin maybe oh, five or six times, lived over there for um, a, a fair amount of time. And so my, my landlord Guido over there is like such an amazing dude. Um, and 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 it's like this like he's like this really like big tall kind of like you know large head like a sturdy frame sort of like German dude. Yeah. He's been living in Berlin for like you know at least last thirty years. He's about he's about fifty. He works he works as a paramedic over in Cologne, and um and you know we first met through through a mutual friend and I rented this room off him and uh we were out to dinner and I was talking to one of his friends and I was like oh when are you coming back to Berlin and I was like oh next year like I you know, might might come back every summer and, and Guido's just piped in and is just like, Lena, whenever you come to Berlin, I have a room for you. I have a room for you. That's, <laughs> that's sweet. Um, yeah, it's a sweet deal. And so whenever I go over there, um, I go back to the same room, kind of step back into the zone. I have um, some instruments over there. I have the exact same guitar that I have in Australia uh-huh, over awesome. there, like sitting in his cellar along with a massive um, kind of like bag of possessions, instruments, goodies. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of just like re-step into my Berlin life 
Um, you know, go it's your second home. Yeah, kind of home away from home. Yeah. yeah, like you know, go for runs around Gawler Park, go to Sissy Foss or Burkheim or Trezor on the weekend, um, and just get inspired by all of the amazing techno that is over there. Because I'm very much more so into the Berlin style of techno as opposed to the, like the Detroit style of techno. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just go over there, like get really inspired, write a lot of music, um, play as many gigs as I can. Um, and just reconnect with the community that is over there because like there are one of the main things that drew me to there especially when I was a lot younger was that there are just so many creative people over there doing amazing things like what I found is that a lot of people go to Berlin to get stuff done like they go there to to create yeah. pet, whatever you're doing you go there to do it like they're not just sitting around in their asses they're not smoking weed all day like they are going there to do it and work. If, you're going there to work. And even when they party, they party efficiently, they party hard, <laughs> and they get it done. And, you know, like it's like, you know, they'll spend 12 hours in a club, and they'll be it for a week. Like, just one club, 12 hours, and yeah. then, like, that's their, that's their whole partying done. Whereas, you know, we might, you know, go out for a few hours, you know, two or three nights a week. They just, like, get it done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do it properly. Do it yeah, properly the first they, time, and you won't have to do it again. proper techno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, is that where a lot of influences come from like the music that you like to play and and, and make from I mean, over there, like as with every anyone, I get influence from such a wide variety of places. But it definitely is a major influence, particularly in the hardest sort of styles of techno that I go for. Um, but you know, when you're talking about the more melodic and ethereal house, those really beautiful luscious sounds that I definitely incorporate a lot, depending on the set. Um, set to set, you know, everyone, everyone's different. Um, but, you know, when I'm doing like a lighter sort of set, I'm very much inspired by like the sounds of natural Australian environment. I think we've got some really good things happening in Australia in the melodic scene and, you know, just taking a lot of inspiration from nature and from different like philosophical aspects um, and kind of combining it all. So my Taste in music operates on a spectrum ranging from like really light, ethereal, yeah. and beautiful to like really hard, dark, gritty, um, industrial techno. Yeah. Um, and depending on the gig, determines where within that spectrum I'll kind of move within. Um, so yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of and you know not just like Berlin, but traveling in general. Like I've um, put uh, a lot of emphasis to you know try and save as hard as I can in like when I'm in Australia, so that I can go to to countries, you know, to whether it's like India or Turkey, Israel, or through through Europe or um, somewhere more relaxing, like you know, sitting yeah. on, the, on the beach in Thailand or whatever. Um, like I I travel very cheaply, and I'm very thrifty when I when I travel. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I barely even buy beer. Um, I you know stay in four euro a night hostels and just yeah. try and experience it as much as I can. Um, and I find that I, ha- I put a lot of emphasis on trying to travel as much as I could as, as young as possible. So, like, as soon as I was 18, I was, like, saving my money from Maccas. Like, <laughs> get out um, of here. Yeah, just yeah. trying to get absorb, absorb all of the sounds. Yeah, and you think that that's, like, really sort of shaped some of your musical tastes, that going over – obviously, you just yeah. talked about Berlin, but, like, all the other travel you've done as well, you've, you've taken some sort of sounds or maybe inspirations from places like that as well? Definitely, because even if you're not directly taking inspiration from the, the music or the sounds of the place, um, just experiencing other cultures will kind of open up your perspective and kind of um, open up 
open up your brain to to different types of people, to be just more inclusive um, in a lot of areas of your life. And so when you are making music, you're not necessarily shying away from certain sounds, but um, being able to identify what sounds you like and how to kind of move through them and go deeper and, um, yeah, create create something something magical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you mentioned you have, you've got a guitar. Yeah. So I- – what what's like how does how do how do you start on keto like i feel like you you've uh, someone who's like maybe learned instruments growing up before is that true or not um i don't know i so, just get that vibe from you yeah so not really not really um, <laughs> you know like i did like a couple of months of you know a couple of different instruments when i was a when i was a child but yeah. then didn't play anything for a solid 10 years and so it was about five years ago when I was 20 when I really started to pursue music full-time. Um, a lot of it was DJing, but a lot of it was um, piano-based, just learning as much as I could, um, and production. Like, I would say um, Ableton, and like, Ableton is my instrument. Um, yeah. And all of these hardware instruments are just toys, essentially, yeah. that enable me to make music in maybe a more fun way or um, maybe more easily. But... At the end of the day, they're just toys. But the real purpose that they do serve is when I do a live set. So I do, like, a lot of DJ sets. Like, that's my, you know, um, I get a, like, like it's a large portion of my income. But um, the live sets are kind of like my passion project. Yeah. So a lot of the time when I'm doing a live set, it's a lot more lighter. It's a lot more experimental. It's not necessarily as commercially viable. Um, but my heart is really there. Yeah. And so I'm kind of up the back. I've got a guitar, a, a Korg synthesizer, um, an Ovation beat pad, and um, this, like, Akai MPD-24, like, this real old, like, not MPC, MPD-24, yeah. like, yeah. like, this real old school uh, yeah. uh, beat pad with, like, some faders on the top, some dials, and a holder pads, um, and and then just, like, like, like random things. Like, I've got this, uh, like, half coconut shell with, like, a... Um, <laughs> Oh, like little uh, metal tubes that I kind of like hit, and like my my grandma gave me this like vintage bell that I sometimes. Oh. And so there's a few quirky things, but it 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 is house rooted. I would say even like yeah. even that style of music. Um, and so kind of I'm on the back with all like my synthesizers and all my electronic toys. Yeah. And uh, I often play with two other people. So. Um, yeah. James, who's a very talented double bass player, he plays like an upright bowed double bass. Even that's though, so sick. Really sick. <laughs> that, that's and like, even so though, cool. even though he's, um, you know, more traditionally jazz trained, like yeah. he's, like jazz, like that jazz vibe flows within his body, and like he's so good at it. Um, yeah. I kind of force him to play with a bow, <laughs> which you know, like, he's like, oh, let me pluck it. <laughs> like, like he likes it, but he definitely prefers to, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do that like that slap sort of bass sort of style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's very talented with a bow as well, and so <laughs> I really love that sound. Um, I think the sound of a bowed double bass is just so warm and rich, and just that deep bassy sound. Um, it's just it's just so warm, and I I I really treasure that sound, and and so like nothing like nothing else that nothing else compares to it. I think um, it's not real some, common either, right? Like, it's not very common. Like usually, it, a double bass is like you know plucked and stuff like that. So. It's true. Um, the more I've worked with him, the more like sometimes it sounds very similar to a didgeridoo because oh, it's yeah. it's that continuous um sound that stroking back and forth um that that rhythmic sort of 
sort of sound. And so even though they, they look very different, when one of them is obviously a very Indigenous Australian instrument and mm. one is like this, you know, white guy English sort of instrument, yeah. um, the actual, like sonically, there, there, are, there are a lot of, a lot of comparisons and um, I think there's a reason that both of those instruments are so popular within their respective cultures because that sound is just so warm and just so it, it, it fills, it fills my soul. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's, so he's with me, like that's James Vicenton. He's an amazing uh, um, doll bass player and I'll often have uh, someone else on either flute or um, a clarinet, like most recently um, I had a, a clarinet. Um, Jack, who's a very talented classical um, clarinetist at the con, um, but, but you know, pre- previously um, Alex uh, was playing flute for me. She's gone. She's since left the country to go over to Amsterdam to pursue her studies further in, in classical flute and that sort yeah. of thing. So I do like collaborating with classical musicians, particularly a bass and a flute. Um, just because I find that the combination of those two sorts of things, whether it's flute or woodwind, um, the combination of those is just so like delicious sounding yeah. together. Um, and then combined with me down the back on my synthesizers, <laughs> yeah. all of my electronic goodies, you know, doing all the beats, doing all the um, melodies and things, I find that it's just a, a really delightful combination. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that might be why I thought you played an instrument because – you know, because yeah. you're working with, you know, with other classical instrument people, yeah. I, I sort of just thought, oh, well, I guess if, if you're into that sound, you probably have done it growing up. But if you yeah. just found that good combination of instruments, I suppose, it for, for your sort of music you're going for. Totally. I mean, like I do play, <coughs> I guess, keyboards and um, synthesizers and guitars these days. But, um, yeah, Ableton is definitely my instruments and combined with decks like, um, yeah. you know, Pioneer CDJs, like they're my instrument as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of like a, you know, multi, I think a producer has to be kind of a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, a little and, bit of everything. And have to have a fundament, fundamental understanding about um, how sound works regardless of the instrument yeah. that is playing it. And I've dabbled in other instruments. Like at home I have like a violin and a harp and, just other, You've got a harp at home. I've got a harp. It's not a. It's not, not a full size harp. It's not. A, it's not, not like because harps are like massive. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like a massive. I can. I can pick it up. Yeah. Um, but that <clears throat> does play like a nice, uh, plucked classical sound. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> but I, I don't utilize it too much in my productions. Um, it's more just my own enjoyment. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, sometimes I sneak a little bit of it in, but it doesn't yeah. really sound like a harp when I sneak it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful instrument. Yeah. I'm all about, like, trying to... But I, got, I got one really cheap on Gumtree, like... Yeah, yeah. oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just I, got a great deal on it. Um, you like, oh, you can't not get it for that. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm very thrifty. I, I, <laughs> I don't spend, you know, ridiculous amounts of money even on even on instruments. And when I do buy an instrument, like, I really consider it and I really make sure that it's worthwhile because I want it to... It'll last me for years or, to, you know, I want it to be really worthwhile. Like, I'm very, um, very rational and very... Like, I, I think about my... Not just my poetry. I think about everything. Like, yeah, I, yeah. There's, there's nothing I do that's kind of just on on a whim. And even though there are areas in my life that are more spontaneous, like when I go traveling, I rarely have a plan. Like, I've booked tickets to Berlin 12 hours in advance. Like, I think it was last time I went over to Berlin. I waited yeah. until I was packed, ready to go, because <laughs> I had to, like, pack up my house and stuff. And so I was packed, ready to go, and then I booked my flight because I knew that there was just so much that I had to get done and a lot of it was very important and I need like, you know, there were, there were like contracts I needed to sign and things, just a lot of things that I needed to do that I really needed to do. And I was like, 
it's more worthwhile for me to sit here and get it done um, and just book a flight 12 hours in advance. And I find that the tickets aren't that much more expensive anyway. You yeah. know, you might pay like $200 more or something, yeah. but um, I, I find that the flexibility is often worth it. And so even when I do, have, like there are hours in my life that I do have spontaneity, but it's calculated spontaneity. Yeah. Um, it's not like calculated risk. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, I don't take I take responsible risks, not irresponsible risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so with that, does that mean you don't work good on deadlines? Is that what you're trying to say here, or no? If I have a deadline, yeah. I will. Um, I'll what do. What, I'll do what's required, and I'll do what's necessary. Yeah. Self-imposed deadlines I find harder because yeah, I'm my boss. I can yeah, I can be flexible, and I can you know, do things. And, um, that's one, that's one of the hardest things. Like, especially last year, I kind of fell into a bit of a major depression and, uh, a lot of the projects that I was really passionate about and felt really strongly about kind of just got put on hold. And it wasn't as, you know, like it, like it wasn't, um, it wasn't as major as a lot of other people's, um, mental health issues, but it's more just like, uh, I, I wasn't getting up and, producing and working and doing the things that I needed to do to do Mm -hmm. and as a result of that like my like my fashion line didn't didn't progress in a business sense and I I wasn't doing all the marketing and um I wasn't putting in the hours that I needed to do because I was fundamentally confused about my place in the world and what I was doing and um it was kind of crippling like I wasn't able to to get a lot of things done um and I mean, like, there were a lot of things that kind of enabled me to resolve that um, a bit. Like, I, I don't think I've um, permanently resolved my inner confusion. Yeah. But I I reached this place of, like, you can't, like, continuing to question your path will continue to cripple yeah. you. Yes. And yeah. so for a time, for, say, a year, just blindly work on your dreams, blindly work on your dreams because yeah. – if like if you continue to question you won't you won't do the things and so um you know this year i'm not allowed to get into existential and sure i can get like you know introspective but um i'm not allowed to let that prevent me from doing the work that i need to do because mm. often um those questions are a form of procrastination or a form of just being like i don't want to do this work so i'll just yeah. sit here and question whether i really need to or not you know like oh you know maybe maybe i could just give up on this goal yeah. instead and then I wouldn't have to you know sit here and send out 20 emails today or do all my music festival applications and um all the rest of it but um, so is there anything that you that you did to sort of sort of get yourself out of that space or anything because there anything any little steps you took or anything you you sort of was like all right I've got to do this or, or anything like that that you that you did um a commitment to blindly working was one of the yep. biggest things um Stepping outside and volunteering, um, yep. and you know, doing doing work with a radio station that helped a lot because I was, you know, talking to people and doing things, you know, yep. um, all the time. Whereas a lot of my other work is is freelance work, and I'll be emailing people and calling people and and doing work for them. Like I do a lot of like uh, my my undergrad was in law, so I do I sort a lot of work related to that. Um, but I, a lot of it is still done from home sort of thing and I, I I don't know I have a 
quite a lot of things going on. But yeah, um, so many things to do. So many things to time. do. Need a personal assistant. I, I say that every oh, week. Oh, the things I would do for a personal yeah. assistant. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm, um, I'm always just like, oh, I just want someone to handle social media and like errands. Yeah, and, like, that'd be awesome. Oh, it would. It would be amazing. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't think there's one thing that you can do. I think that it's more of a overarching commitment to to getting better and to doing better. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like, and there are, like, there are little things you can do. Like, obviously, exercise helps a lot. Going out and talking to people helps a lot. Um, but I was really questioning my my future in the music and, you know, my, my path and my future um, because sometimes I find that when my career is going the best, like, I, like I was playing, like, these festivals, these massive shows, like, shows yeah. bigger than I'd ever done before to, like, these massive crowds. Um, but that was when my mental health was the worst. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like a lot of the people that I would talk to, like sometimes you get a lot of DJs who like have a lot of ego and, you yep. know, a lot of whatever else. Definitely. And, um, like, you know, like, am I going to, am I going to turn out like these people? Am yeah. I going to, you know, lose a lot of the, the soul and the compassion and the empathy that I have? Um, am I going to become jaded like some of the people that I'm seeing? And then also like when my career is going really well, I start to think like, is this it? Like, is this the thing that I've been working on tirelessly for for yeah. years? Like, is this the goal that I'm reaching for? And if it is, will this goal make me happy? Like, is this goal worth it? Yeah. Um. And I mean, I don't have the answers. But, no. Um, I mean, and even when you think you've got the answer, like a year later, you're like, oh, I can't believe I thought that was the answer. Mm. <laughs> like you, you know, retrospect is always like, yeah, so big. Um, so you mentioned about like a fashion label just before. Yeah. What's that about? Cause I didn't know you had like a fashion label or a line. Is that, is that coming out soon or is it something? That yeah. You've... Yeah. It's in um, pre-production. So I've been working on the designs for a long time. Like I think I've been, it's been in quietly in the works for a number of years, but it's kind of centered around capes and gender neutral draping. Yep. Um, it's a lot of black, a lot of really sharp lines contrasted with a lot of movement and a lot of flow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's called it's called Zubtakt, like Z U V T A R K T. Um, yeah. And where'd you get that name from? Um, kind of just went within myself and, and just searched. Uh, I thought about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, and kind of put letters together that I liked and yeah. um, incorporated to the meeting. It's definitely um influenced by Berlin because like fashion is one of the things that I am just continually surprised at when I go over there. Like when yeah. people go out, they just look a million dollars and it's not that they're wearing a lot of makeup or have, you know, these crazy hairstyles, but they, but what they're wearing is like simple, but effective and practical. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, every, like some of, one of the big things I aim to achieve is making everything multifunctional, very versatile, extremely high quality, you know, um, like lots of pockets, like women's clothing. Yeah, that's never girls tell me that all the time. Ever it's like, have enough there's pockets. no pockets. And, and if then they, they do, like, pockets. They, they have fake pockets or like they're tiny, like the amount of coats that I've put on and the coat pocket doesn't fit my hand inside of it. And I'm like, there was room to do that. Yeah. Like you could have just, ex- like the, yeah. the material that they make pockets out of is like, Four dollars a meter, <coughs> and to make a pocket, you need what twenty cents? Like it, you, you're you're yeah. literally cutting cents to make that pocket unfunctional yeah. for me, and like <laughs> I will never forgive you for that. Yeah. Um. 
and and sort of making things more functional and blurring the blurring the gender lines because I find that clothing is far too gendered. Like me myself, I wear a lot of male clothing because I find it to be more comfortable, more functional, and I like the way my body looks in it. Um, so I, you know, I'm really into like streetwear. You know, I wear a lot of like baggy, baggy kind of like black t-shirts and jeans and, um, you know, kind of like belts and straps and um, details like that. Yeah. So just paying attention to the details and making clothing that people really, really want to wear. Yeah. Um, so like capes and accessories and so have, you've got like a full line. So you said like obviously capes and draping type stuff. Are there any other kinds of things? or, or I've got a lot of things um, in the works that I kind of do want to focus on. Um, but, oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <Yeah. laughs> um and it's like a lot of things that I want to make in the future. Um, like I, I've thought a lot about the exact cut of pant that I really want to make, um, and the way that the, that a shirt will drape, and um, you know, kind of making you know just one or two of each um, type of garment, you know, like pants, shirts, um, skirts, dresses, whatever. Um, but just making the like making the best possible t-shirt that I could possibly make making the the most well thought out pant that is just so multifunctional that everyone can put on and be like this is an amazing pair of pants (laughs) um you know every like everything I do I want it to be well designed well thought out um and really useful and practical to people but my side chick uh, garment will be capes. Um, if you've seen me play, you've probably seen me yeah. play in a cape before. I've definitely seen you play in a cape. Um, <laughs> and like the capes that I do have front panels as well, so they come forward because I want them to be equally weighted front to back, so yeah. they don't kind of like slide off or um, hurt your neck. Like a lot of, I mean, like if you go to like a children's party, like you'll see like capes <laughs> yeah. kind of being like strung up around your neck, but these ones kind of like um, have these uh, straps that kind of like go. Further, like go, they go down towards your waist behind your back and yep. um that adds a lot of like security but even if you don't tie those up because it's equally weighted like i've like i've weighed both sides <laughs> to make sure that this garment yeah. is like um relatively equally weighted and you know it has pockets in the front um secret pockets um <laughs> just just lots of like uh interesting details that um make it a quality product i don't want to put because, like, you know, with the with the rise of fast fashion and um, the amount of just very cheaply made products that people wear a couple of times and then um, throw away or, you know, hopefully they give them, to, give them to Vinnie's and thrift shops, but a lot of them do just get thrown away or because they don't last very long. Like, they'll get holes in them, they'll do whatever. Um, and so the amount of um, consumable clothing that ends up in landfall is just ridiculous and mm. it like it makes it makes my heart hurt. It makes me sad. Yeah. Um and I don't want to like and I feel like I have such a responsibility as a designer to um curtail that issue, to assist with the prevention of things ending up in landfall. I want to make things that people can wear for years or decades um that will stand the test of time and will still they'll still want to wear because mm. like they look amazing they're still current they're still fashionable and so that's why like if i make a pair of pants i want it to be a pair of pants that they'll still want to wear in 20 years that won't look dated um yeah. but whilst you know it will still look edgy and cool and you know have the have these details that you know make it just a really unique 
piece that will stand the test of time. Um, like there's because there's just so many so much crappy clothing and there are so many retailers <laughs> that I could call out that aren't paying their workers enough. Yeah, that, exactly. That, um, aren't using sustainable fabrics and a lot of these things. And so, um, you know, I do use a portion of natural fabrics, but I do use a lot of synthetic fabrics um, because the thing like the things that we can do with synthetic fabrics these yeah. days. Oh my god! It wasn't until I really started um, sourcing uh textiles that i discovered just what we can do with textiles these days um because you know like like even like cotton takes a huge amount of water to produce huge yeah um and it's hard to recycle a lot of the time and so um i mean obviously i'm a very small uh designer like i i haven't um yeah you know i'm not i'm not massive i don't have a uh, a, a large income from it at this stage but um one of the goals that I want to work towards as early as I can is to start using um, sustainably sourced uh, fabrics like um, sea, like when they've turned sea plastics into lycra and things. And I use a lot of lycra mm-hmm. um, for like lining and various things. Um, and so sourcing that from ocean plastics, turning it into beautiful soft fabrics, like a high, really high quality yeah, fabrics. Yeah. Um, and then utilizing that and then thinking about your end of supply chain as well. Like what happens at the end of that garment's life? Um, you know, bringing it back into the cycle and allowing us to, um, reuse parts of it, you know, take it apart, reuse all of the elements that can be salvaged Mm -hmm. and then what can't be salvaged, um, recycle the rest and make sure that things, that things are, um, that the life cycle of a product is a sustainable life cycle. Is that something you've been passionate about for a while then, like the environment and, and sustainability? Like, because it sounds like yeah. when you're talking about that, you were, you were sort of getting quite into it there and you were, I could see the little smile on your face <laughs> that you were loving it. So is that something um, that, like, you know, your whole life you've been into or is that something more recent once you looked into all these new uh, materials and things? Um, I would say it just increased progressively over time. Mm-hmm. Traveling helped a lot with it because yeah. just seeing the way that other people live, seeing the society, like other societies, mm-hmm. you know, like you go over to like Thailand or Malaysia or China and you see the way that they deal with their rubbish and you're like, I do not want to contribute to this because yeah. like there's this, this really stark um, contrast in the the natural environment and the man-made environment. I was on a flight back from Sydney just last weekend. Um, oh, God, sorry, going into Sydney. And I was, I had, a, I had a window seat and I was looking out over the river. It was really only, it was maybe like 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning. So it was still kind of like dusky, there was this little fog. Um, and when you, go, when you go into Sydney airport, you kind of go out over the water first. So it was just this complete ocean. I couldn't see anything else. And there was this like um, shipping container, like tanker, uh, one of those like red ones that you see just out, out in there. And I was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Um, you know, there's this like little lonely ship just out there in this like beautiful sea, so serene at the, in, in this morning. And I was really excited to be in Sydney. Um, and then slowly the the cliffs, like the Sydney cliffs started to come into view. And it, and it, and it, like it was beautiful, like the orange Christmas of of the, the sunlight, just the early morning sunlight just hitting these cliffs. Um, and then you had this... Uh, forest a little bit of a mountain um just just some greenery just some some trees just some greenery yeah. um 
and I'd, and you know it's happened over like you know 15 minutes or so I was watching I was watching this boat I was watching this ocean I was watching these cliffs I was watching these trees and then all of a sudden quarry Oh, just yeah. like just like land being cleared like the for- like the forest yeah. it's like they were trying to get as close as they could to those cliffs and clear as much of that land as they could yeah. um just the clearing of land the devastation of those trees um you know what to to mine some stand- sandstone or something so they can build high yeah. rises there yeah um and i don't know maybe it was just because early in the morning and i was very tired because i hadn't slept much the night before but i had a really emotional reaction to it and yeah. was, and um like I, I just, I just felt really sad for that, for that landscape, um, because I, I don't know, we're humans as a collective are doing so much harm to the world, and it's not up to the collective to change it. It's up to each individual, like you and me. Um, so I personally feel a massive responsibility to do as much as I can, um, even if that means uh, taking more time to to recycle or getting my hands dirty, like. And, you know, sometimes my housemates will like throw recycling into the rubbish, and I'll I'll get in there and I'll dig it out. And throw it, yeah. Um, and you like like we can you know like we compost everything because we're lucky enough to have a backyard where I live in Brisbane, and you can recycle all of your soft plastics down at Coles. Like you put them in a bag and you take them to yeah. Coles, and they'll recycle your yeah. soft plastics for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what Coles decides to do with them after that, I can't change that. You know, whether yeah. whether or not, you know, they're actually recycling them or... Well, know, actually, I, I know about that program. Um, yeah, the one, on, the one on ABC. Well, I don't know, is that the, is it the Replus one? That's the company that does it. Yeah. You put that in and Look, they, they turn it into recycled plastic products that yeah. people can buy or schools can, can you know, get made for them and stuff, yeah. And, you know, like, like maybe, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. Regardless, I'm doing as much as Mike I can and the more that people move into those sorts of programs the more pressure there is on those organizations yeah. to do better yeah. um because you know it'll be clear that there's a massive desire there um and so i think just putting pressure on organizations and those organizations feeling the pressures like as an entrepreneur i feel a lot of pressure to um make my activities as sustainable as possible um, mm-hmm. And not just in fashion, like you know, in like in music, we have all this tech gear. Like yeah. there's so much tech gear, um, and that's not sustainable. Like you know, these computers, these phones, um, yep. all of the synthesizers, they all take precious metals and a lot of resources, a lot of um, water and a lot of manpower to produce. And so, like when I buy a synthesizer, it's because I have identified a gap within my system. And that I know that it will be a really quality product that will last me for a long time. Yeah. Um, and also not buying things new, like buying things off Gumtree or eBay yeah. secondhand. Um, because, you, like, you don't – all of the time, it, there's, there's no difference, you know. You don't need to buy yeah. a new pair of CDJs. Are you kidding me? Like, no. As um, long as they work. As long as they yeah, work. Yeah. And, and sort of paying attention to that. Like, we live in a consumerist lifestyle where people um, really do just – consume and throw away like we're in that sort of culture Mm -hmm. and i think that desperately needs to be changed yeah so like how did you get into into the um like the fashion designing stuff Mm -hmm. because you said you at at uni you did law as your undergrad and then now you're doing fashion like how did that how did you get into that like um I don't know, I had a bit of a 180 with law, um, you know, so I kind of quit and started doing anything that I, I put to pull my hand up for anything and yep. um, met a lot of really beautiful people in the music industry and 
was very intrigued by it and started DJing. I had my first residency at Rick's Bar in Brisbane, which is like this staple bar playing like, <laughs> like David Bowie, like The Clash, yeah, like yeah. just, you know, a, a, bunch of that sort of, <laughs> a bunch of that sort of genre. And I was there for like six hours every Saturday. So yeah. it was like a grade A lesson in DJing because it's like, yeah. you, you gotta know, know your library, you got to know all the songs. You got to know your library, but like, um, you know, also like you, it's just the time. And I find a lot of these these things it's just the time spent practicing and so like I was just basically getting paid to practice and you know like when you're playing David Bowie and Tame Impala you don't have yeah. to you don't have to mix it no. super well but you obviously can and so um I was able to go from semi-beginner really um and just kind of like bluff my way through kind <laughs> of getting um getting that gig um to uh you know being been quite competent after not too long because you are there for just such a vast amount of time. So, yeah, so long. Um, and you know, like, uh, like, it, like, even now, I do heaps of like, you know, functions, birthdays, like, you know, uh, corporate events, any, yeah. anything really, just because like those are really good rent payers. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need, you need, you need some good rent payers. Um, cool. and like a lot of those events that go for a really long time. Um, yeah. And so it's just putting the practice in, but. With fashion, I never necessarily intended – like, when I first started, I didn't really intend to get super deep into the into the industry, but I always did have an appreciation for fashion and mm-hmm. um, was paying attention to what I was putting on my own body, especially, you know, like when questioning gender or society or a lot of these things that dictate how our society functions. Um, but a lot of it came from I just needed, like, outfits and costumes to wear on stage. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I was making, like, these capes and things and dressing up my uh, bandmates in in these capes and things. Um, and a lot of people just responded really well to them. They were just like, these are awesome. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is <laughs> sick. Like, I, and, and so it kind of just eventuated from there and, you know, uh, put together some business plans and um, getting getting it all all going. And I feel like, I, I feel like I'm so close um, yeah. to having uh, – like an MVP, like a minimal viable product that I can, that I'm happy to put out into the world and I'm satisfied yeah. with and that um, I'm comfortable with people um, purchasing. You know, I don't, I don't want to put shitty products out there. I want to put a really quality product out there. Um, and so, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to put together a Kickstarter campaign, um, get onto Patreon, get onto a lot of those things and, um, you know, have, a, have an event, have a fashion show. and get it going so hopefully i can wrap up a lot of those things um before i go um and get the the manuf- and get like a sustainable manufacturing line going and there's, yeah. but there's but there's a lot of considerations there's a lot of parts that um need to be kind of ironed out and <laughs> nice pun in there yeah to so, be ironed out <laughs> um but conversely like a lot of like no garment that i make will ever require ironing like yeah. I haven't, um, I, like I worked in law firms for about five or six years yeah. and I haven't ironed a shirt since I left and I do not intend to, Yeah. yeah. um, <laughs> you know, Ironings, like there's, there's yeah, so many things okay. that I need to do. Ironing is not one of them. Yeah. Um, until you get that personal assistant <laughs> that they can do your ironing. No, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make clothes that don't require Just make it. clothes that don't need ironing. Yeah. yeah. So like you, you were wearing like the capes and that, and that's sort of what started it, I suppose. So why <laughs> did you decide to, to start wearing capes with 
like on stage and that? Was there anything you saw or drew inspiration from? I'm thinking of the... Mathematics. I'm actually thinking of the Seinfeld episode where there's that dude with the cape. I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but um, (laughs) there's an episode where, yeah, there's a guy who wears a cape. Right. It's just reminding me of that. But where did you get the inspiration from? Um, I've always always been really into mathematics and geometry. And so, um, like when I was in high school, I never really intended to go into law I just had a more warped and linear view about what success meant when I was 16 and making those decisions yeah um feel ya. when I was in high school <laughs> I was always really good at math really good at science um mm-hmm. and so I wanted to be a computer programmer um that was always my thing I was because I've always been really interested in technology and that transfers really well to music production and tech yeah. um but uh my kind of math and sciencey brains look like looks at um like I would say even though I like mathematics, the thing my brain most likes to think about is the spatial environment in which yeah. we exist in. And so geometry plays a lot within yeah. that um, and physics plays a lot within that. Like, I don't know, for anyone really wanting to go down a rabbit hole, look up the E8 theory. Super interesting. Oh, really? like a, what is it, E8? E8. Um, okay. It's like one of the most it's, – it's highly considered one of the most, like, beautiful – uh, objects in mathematics oh, cool. um, and it's kind of like the uh, it represents like a distribution of particles in kind of like an orb uh, with all of these points represented within it um, but m- maybe coincidentally uh, it also relates to um, like shapes in higher dimensions so mm-hmm. if you calculate what a shape will look like in a higher dimension, like for instance, like a, uh, a cube or a square, yeah. um, and put it, you know, up to like the the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth dimension. Um, once you put it into an eighth dimension, it uh, perfectly aligns with this distribution of particles okay, in, yeah. in quantum physics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is such a tangent, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love um, it. Yeah, but, like, uh, so what a lot of physicists are studying at the moment, because, like, as I guess some people know, string theory kind of fell out of fashion. Like, it had a, bit, it had a few too many flaws yeah, and yeah. just wasn't holding up yeah. anymore. It, even though it's still gaining so much funding, um, yeah. it's just not uh, living up to what it, it yeah. said. And so that's kind of fallen out of fashion, and the E8 theory is uh, partially contended to that, um, trying to reconcile quantum mechanics and yeah. general relativity like string theory was trying to do. Um, and so this shape in geometry um, can be really helpful with that because like before when I was talking about the distribution of particles within this kind of orb that you can, you can look at, um, they can plot all of the particles that we kind of know about. Yep. But then there are these gaps within the pattern. There are like these eight gaps. Um, or I think there was like nine, but we found one. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's really it's really exciting time. Yeah, physics, it's, you know? yeah it sounds <laughs> like, really interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go down such a rabbit hole after this. Oh, do it. It's really. Interesting. Uh, are there any like? Is there any yeah. like documentaries on this or anything? Heaps. Like, go look, right into it. Just yes. look up E8 awesome. YouTube. Like your quantum um, chemical research. There's a. I got channel. the rest of my evening sorted then. <laughs> totally. Um, so there was this orb, and there were these gaps in it, and so because they identified that there were these kind of gaps, like you can just look at it and see like there should be a particle in these like eight places but there's, um, not. but there's not so that means we don't know what they are but we have like eight more to discover and you know like you know we, yeah. we discover like the higgs boson and okay so they're particles that we things. haven't haven't 
seen yet or haven't found. Yeah, so it's kind of like telling yeah. us what we don't know and yeah. directing us as to where more research needs to be. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I mean, like, I. <laughs> That's so awesome. I can't believe so, we were talking about how you got into capes. Yeah, and, and we got to this. This is, and, yeah, great. So, like, you know, to, to relate it back, I do have, I guess, a casual interest in. Um, in geometry and, and casual, and, and it doesn't sound physics. very casual. Oh, you know, just a casual, just a casual in, in just particle a casual physics. Interest. Um, oh, because I don't know. My, my dad studied some physics in uni and went on to do um, some computer work and um, yeah. that sort of thing. And so, even though he didn't do any particle physics, um, I guess just kind of like look, you know, trying to find out what what he kind of. Um, studied like as a child, um, you know, I was like paying attention to what he was, yeah. to what he was doing, and that kind of spurred me off on my own tangent. Um, yeah. But um, it's more, you know, like you're you're sitting there, you're it's, it's two a.m. You're on like uh, YouTube or Google or yeah. whatever, and just get you're down just, right. you're, oh, you're, what's this? What's this? Oh, that's yeah, related. Like, oh, whoa, whoa. Um, but I think spatially is how my mind most likes to function yeah um at school uh in like primary school you do these like standardized tests and i yeah. my mum gave me like a stack of my school reports um a couple of years ago and you know like you know english science math you know, it was all good and then um kind of like there's like there's like literacy numeracy because we've got like these standardized like year three year five i think yeah um napland in napland in, in, yeah in it's australia napland. yeah um, I work at a primary school. So. Oh, really? <laughs> I know all about. I, I know all about Naplan. You're, you're all over it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like in that Naplan, has got like you know um, literacy. You know, like you know, top couple of um, the bands that you get, yeah. and numeracy. You know, like I was kind of in like the the yeah. highest band. Um, and then for like spatial numeracy, 99th percentile. <laughs> That's so and interesting then, as well, because like, and but it's just generally that's something that you know that guys are. Better, you know, as a general statement, in think, most of the results, I think a lot of that comes. It's a self self perpetuating prophecy. I totally um, agree. So we tell guys that they're better at maths, and girls ever so slowly start to drop out. So if you look at yeah. if you look at the you know um, you know like earlier education, yep. it's far more equal, and as you go up, the yep. girls start to drop out, and it gets more difference there. Yeah. Um. I think. I don't think I think girls are just as capable at mathematics and sciences than the boys. I think yeah. it's the social structures that are surrounding it and that I are think... leading to that disparity. And so, like when you when you get like these 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 Naplan things, you you're 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 on these bands, and then you know, there might only be a few questions. Um, but I was never much of a studier. Like I always hated studying. Yeah. And I I never did my homework in school. Like not all through high school or through primary school. I never did my homework. I was so lazy. Like you would have been the worst um, law student. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know how I got through it um, or, you know, got so far. Um, but uh, in these in these, in these these bands and things, I think the thing that I like about spatial is that you can visualise it and it makes sense. Yeah. So you don't have to be super knowledgeable and researched within it, um, yeah. but there are concepts and ideas that can make sense. Um, yeah. So when you, like, when you look into your spatial, it's like sometimes – you know, I'm not necessarily researching. I'm just sitting there thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can reach a conclusion based solely on your thoughts. And it might not be the right conclusion. Yeah. But there is a, a logical pathway that you can follow in some of these scientific areas and particularly in um, geometry and spatial awareness. Yeah. And so I think as a kid, um, you know, I wasn't the most studious, um, but 
I was able to figure a lot of things out and spatial just really clicked well with how my brain works. Like um, I'm really good uh, visually. I, I'm, I'm very good and sonically like, um, I'll, I'll memorize lyrics like that to, to like R and B songs that I have, like, really, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. these really like crappy songs that are just like, Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And like, like I, 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 I don't, I don't want that knowledge in my brain. That, that knowledge is like taking the place of other more important information. But like I hear it once and like all of those lyrics are forever in my brain Yeah. and I'll just find myself like singing along to like, you know, the radio to songs that I don't know, but my brain does. Yeah. And so with a lot of songs, um, like I'll, I like just have them memorized and can kind of like play them back in my brain at like 320 kilobits a second, like in this, <laughs> in this like perfect quality. Yeah. I was actually collaborating, um, with a friend of mine last night, PH0, Stephen, um, we were you know, working on this house track together and there was one, um, arpeggiator that we were using and there was this one little clip of it and I was like, oh, it's like stop the track for a second yeah. like this reminds me of this other song that i know but all i had in my head was this little like um thing from like the arpeggio that we were using and i was like what is what is the rest of the track because it's always like an instrumental track there aren't yeah. there aren't a lot of um pathways to finding out what track it is yeah especially when you just have like a tiny bit of like a, an arpeggiator that the could be literally anything bit. and then it just annoys you for like it annoyed me for so long forever and, and like i just kept thinking about it. like I, ha- I had my hands in like this prayer and I was just <laughs> I was just like thinking about it so hard and I was like please don't like just just let me think about this for a second um and eventually I got like the synth line like this the synth uh backing that was to it and I'm like oh I got these like two elements and I was like oh well, like, what, like, what are the beats doing there and I was thinking about it and I was like oh the beats the beats are really dragging my brain trying to think about what this song that you know our track was reminding yeah. me of um and then you know eventually like built up all the things and I was like oh and then like that arpeggiator gets to a certain point and it like tumbles over itself. It's like, like has this yeah, point where like yeah. tumbles over itself. And I was like, oh, but then what happens after? Like what happens after the break? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it goes into this other little melodic bit. Um, and I just sat there like slowly building out all yeah. of the elements that I could remember from this track. And I figured it out. And, and as soon as I, as soon as I figured it out, I like, I like, oh my God, it's Kolsch. Like K-O with an umlaut, um, L-S-H and um, Dogma 1, like one of his tracks. And, and I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, it's a track and I played it. And we were, and like, <laughs> yeah, we were, up, we were like, like dancing so like fists in the air, so happy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, it was just really satisfying. But um, like my brain just memorizes stuff like that. It doesn't memorize law textbooks very well, <laughs> but um, visually and sonically, it really remembers things. And also, yeah. but to the extent that they're patterns, like music for to a large extent is yeah. patterns. And yeah. even though I can play it back really crisply in my head, um, it's patterns. And with the, like back to what you were originally asking, like the point of all this, um, it's because it's patterns. Um, and so like one of the things that my brain loves to do, and that's why I'm really pursuing fashion is because like getting a 3D sheet and cutting out these shapes to transform into a 3D shape, to put yeah, on a 3D yeah. body. 2D it's, things into a 3D. Yeah, it's that 2D, 3D conversion that I just find oh, so putting satisfying. Putting it up a dimension. Like yeah, we were like, talking about yeah, before, let's, just bringing let's it back. the motherfucking dimensions. Bringing back another dimension. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I find that really satisfying. And, like, with the caves especially, um, it's not just making it 3D, but it's thinking about exactly how much uh, 
space you need on the bottom edge versus the top edge because the bottom yeah. edge will be really long yeah. so that it falls in and drapes and you get that beautiful drape at the bottom and so I'll just sit there thinking about exactly how a piece of material <laughs> yeah. will, will fall and you know whether it needs like how, bring it back to physics how gravity is going to affect the fall of the yeah how gravity <laughs> affects the fall of my garment um and so yeah like you're like you're there and you know whether it's cut on the bias which means kind of like um if you think of material as like a checkerboard yeah. um with like the threads running perpendicular yeah, to each other yeah. um how you cut it um mm-hmm. you know whether you cut it straight or slightly diagonally or whatever yeah. will really impact it's like the grain of the yeah the, the grain yeah, of material, of the material suppose, um yeah. will really impact how it falls and how you can hem it because if you cut um material diagonally that material will naturally flare out and so when you go to hem it you'll have more material on one side than you do directly opposite and so you'll get all of these like creasing in your hem and so it's all of these little things that you think like oh i'll just hem this garment but then you're like oh no i can't without completely (laughs) redesigning how i cut it in the first place and so it's all of these little things that i'm just sitting there thinking about just being like how can i make this better how can i make this a really quality product that people will really want to wear for a long time that reminds me of like music production like all Mm. these little tiny little Mm. things that you don't even realize until like later down the track and you're like oh if i do this it's gonna do that like yeah it's interesting that yeah that that's so interesting that you got into that the fashion which i suppose is a creative you're you're in music and fashion now which is like a creative industries yeah but i do a lot of video of, editing as well which is also yeah it, creative crea- logic like creative stuff because yeah. especially like when you're I, like, I film a lot of events and things and when you're there filming um like the event like that itself is creative because like, you know the angles that um make the face look really nice like when you're photographing someone like if you're really close to them and using like wide angle lens their face will look really broad and like drawn yeah, out yeah, yeah. and kind of distorted um so you know thinking about like the angles which will make that specific person's face look really yeah. good because some people look good on an upwards angle, some people look really good on a downwards angle. Um, like I love film clips. Um, so in the camera work, yeah, there's like um, some considerations that you that you need. But then when you're video editing, when you're editing it together um, and thinking about where all the cuts should be, how it all flows, um, like it would, like it can be tedious at times because it takes such a long time to video edit. Yeah. So, like so many hours, like hours and hours and hours just to yeah. be- edit. Like, <laughs> that's, like a one, that's why I'm not filming this thing, thing yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we're not filming the podcast yet. <laughs> and like with a, with a lot of with podcasts, like you just got to do it in one take and have no cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's no the only cuts, way to do so, it. Yeah. Um, unless you um, have more resources or time. Yeah, of course. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you're Joe Rogan making 30 million a year just totally, on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you'll probably afford to 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 have multiple camera angles and cuts and and pay people. Um, and so yeah, like uh, like even when you're you're there editing and you're kind of putting it all together, um, it's just another avenue. You know, it's like like music's very sonic. Um, like fashion, I would say, like even I was talking about mathematics before, but I I think a lot of it is tactile. Um, you know, you're you're tactically feeling these textiles and you know it's about how it feels it's about how it performs it's about how it wears it's a very physical thing mm-hmm. whereas music and video are very theoretical very yeah. uh, ethereal um like there's no do, touch involved there's really. no touch involved um and so i feel like they kind of form this perfect little love triangle of passions of mine that all fulfill a different role yeah. um 
And, you know, we all know I love uh, triangles. Just look at my fucking logo. <laughs> yeah. I wanted like, to ask about your name too, Avaxa. Mm, Avaxa. Avaxa. Is that how it's pronounced? How is it pronounced first? Because I've only really seen it written. Avaxa. Avaxa. Because all of the A's are pronounced the same. You don't just pronounce the middle okay. one differently yeah. just because we're Australians. Australians love to pronounce Avaxa. 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 Oh, Avaxa, you got any vaccines? Um, So how did you come up with that then, that name? Um, Was it the same thing, just putting letters and stuff together as your It was a lot of putting letters and things together. Um, My middle name's Alex, and so that came into it quite a lot. Um, Because, you know, I've always just really liked that name as well. Um, And, um, yeah, I I just like it a lot. And... But visually, the way it looks, um, it's yeah. essentially just six triangles. And so... <laughs> just, you love your triangles. Literally, just, like, stacked on top of each other, six triangles. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was also, like, in um, Illustrator and um, Photoshop looking at the way that various things looked. And I, I do, like, short lists and things. And, yeah. Um, Again, you didn't out. just pick it out of the... Out of, out of the air, you came up with it. You thought about it for a while. You planned it. Yeah, I, yeah. I really planned it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so I want to ask, because I've got to ask you about, um, because, and I think I've told you this before, like when I saw you uh, or videos or seeing you perform, when I first saw you, now I love your dance moves and everything, like when you're like totally into the track and like it works with the whole image and everything. But at the start I was like, what's going on up there? What? What's she doing, like, you know, with all, with all your moves and that? Mm-hmm. But, like, they've definitely grown on me and I'm definitely a fan of them now. Mm-hmm. But, like, how did you come up with doing all that, like... I mean, I don't think dancing when you're performing is uh, super contentious. No, 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 um, I, I know, yeah, no, but no, it's no. so... Yours is so iconic for your performance. I do have, I guess, um, my own style of dancing and... It's like um, you're putting spells on people and doing magic and some, you've got the cape and everything. Is, yeah, there's... <laughs> is, there, is there a link there between that? Well, there's a couple that? of witchy vibes. Um, yeah, sometimes, like, you know, I'll be, I'll be performing and there'll be this, like... There's often, like, a couple of rows of just, like... Um, young girls in the front row who yeah. are just like enamored by me, just being like, "Oh my god, who yeah. is this chick? <laughs> she's everything." She's wearing a cape, and, playing uh, awesome music. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll look them directly into their eyes, see right into their soul, and just like <laughs> I'll get my dance moves, and I'll yeah. and like I'll try as hard as I can to focus all of my energy on that specific person, and then the yeah. next person, but like just trying to connect with the audience however I possibly can. And yeah. um, my dance moves are just a way of expressing how I yeah. feel and to just uh, shoot forth some of the energy that I'm feeling mm. onto the audience so they can share in that experience with me. Like I find that that audience connection is one of the main reasons I perform just because yeah. um, I like I want nothing more than just to, to connect with yeah. those who are enjoying my music as well. Um and so, I mean, like, I did a, a bunch of um, dance lessons when I was a kid. Like, in, I yeah. was classically trained in, like, ballet and oh, yeah. contemporary dance. I really, really enjoy um, contemporary. And, um, like, even now I'll go down to Queensland Ballet and they put on, like, casual adult classes where you can just, you know, pay 12 bucks and do uh, a class. And, like, there's grandmas in the class. Like, there's, yeah. all, there's, all, there's like, guys in the class. There's all types of people. Um Ooh. And so you can just, like, rock up on a Tuesday and go to a dance class. So you, um, if, if you want to see you practising your dance moves so down at the dance class. Yeah, hit me up. We'll, <laughs> hit me up. We'll do it together. Um, you know, anyone, anyone listening, like, let's, let's have a boogie. Um, and so, like, yeah, I think having that 
training and that basis to continue forth from, even though some of my moves, especially like like when you're behind the decks, you have a desk in front of you, you have So upper body. It's all upper body. Yeah, and yeah. so I've gotten a lot better at using my arms and yeah. um my fingertips and my shoulders and everything. Like I feel like shoulders can be so expressive. Yeah. And it took me, <laughs> yeah. it took me a long time to realise that. because um, 'cause they're not yeah. like an obviously expressive uh body part. But yeah. um so I, yeah, you know, you can't use your whole body to express, but when you do um, film clips or you uh, dance in, like just on the dance floor, like I, lo- yeah. I love tearing up a dance floor and, yeah. you know, especially like when I don't know anyone else there and I can That's just like, best. I can just rip <laughs> it up and I can just, you know, move however I feel and vibe with whoever else yeah. is there. Um, like I really love that. Um but you know when you can get all of your when you can get your lower body into it because a lot of ballet and contemporary is lower body footwork and so I have all this lower body footwork training but I can't get it out all the time. <laughs> so we need to like you need to do like a uh, a boiler room style set where you've got like a lower body camera as well like on your lower body head so so but you just can, like you a foot cam gets yeah foot I don't know about cam. that um, because like it, you know it it it's all it's all one like I'm one unit and. Like yeah. the the foot is just the foundation for for the rest of the body and how yeah. it all moves together. So it's not just like the it, the footwork is detailing how how your legs and your torso yeah. all move in together. And so um, have to sit on your feet. You know, it's not like it's not like Scottish dancing where you're doing a lot of really complex yeah. footwork. Um, it's more like you're doing uh, pirouettes, spins, arabesques. You know, yeah. like um, these lot of really like uh, graceful stretchings, uh, il- elongated sort of dance moves um and so that like I, I really love a lot of that sort of stuff um, I used to have to do a little but, bit of bar work um yeah. I used to be a gymnast yep. so I used to have to do bar work uh-huh. um was definitely not my favorite part of training <laughs> I don't mind like a lot of a lot of the time in a class it'll just be used as a warm-up and yeah well that's like we, all, all we would sort of do you weren't actually learning dancing it was just like warm-up well, and moving of, your legs in space and you know stuff like that well you kind of were you um you know, it's uh, paying attention to the minor details. So mm. when you do go out on the floor and you do do these larger movements, your foot, um, in that muscle memory, it knows how yeah. to place itself and not get injured. And yeah. it's gain- it's building that strength. So, you know, you'll do rises, which is basically just like lifting your heels up on the floor yeah. eight times or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's not complex, um, but it's very necessary to build those smaller, lesser used um, muscles so that, you can have that endurance and um, not injure yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's really important. That um, that technique stuff. Yeah, technique. Well, that's yeah. Gymnastics is all technique. Yeah, and, and dancing is, is yeah, just the same. Yeah. yeah. So you said you started at Ricks. Mm-hmm. I just want to bring it back again. Wrap it up on maybe some music stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because you you said you started at Ricks. So what first got you into the music that you're into now and and, you know, like the, the techno and the melodic techno and all that that you were talking about earlier. How did think, you get into that initially? Um, I think it was just a slow progression. And yep. even though I was playing at Ricks, like, I had to play 70s, 80s, 90s yeah, and, yeah, exactly. and pop music. Um, and, like, I liked all that sort of stuff. Like, did I you just like, say proper music? Sorry, pop. Oh, pop. Just pop music. I thought you said proper music. Proper I was music. like, oh, my God. Oh, there's my soul. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I think there's no such thing as proper music. I yeah, think, yeah. That's I, what I was I, like. I think, what? I think all music has, has its own place and yeah, a special place in the in the part of that person. And so, um, like, even though I was playing a lot of that, my interest was still very varied. And there was a couple of times where I tried to play some electronic and 
like the the bar manager would just kind of give me a dirty look. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is like a real popular poppy electronic. Well, tune or something. they had a few dance floors. Like outside, they okay. played a bit more like that um, hybrid pop um, electronic sort of stuff. And then mm-hmm. upstairs, um, they played house and techno. And so they didn't want the dance floors to compete. They wanted um, yeah, separation. Places, yeah, separation. Yeah. Um, which is totally fine. And so. Um, you know, I it was like a slow progression because there was always music that I liked. You know, I liked a lot of like Flume and Ratatat and yeah. like the Glitch Mob. Like um, there were a lot of like my really early influences: Christian Loeffler, Bonobo, Aurora. I had a massive fascination fascination with Aurora, and even now, like her latest album that she released is magnificent and beautiful. Yeah. Um, like the XX. Um, a lot of those uh really shaped my earlier influences and kind of um got me on a nice path towards house and techno and i mean like i um like i loved loved house and techno since i was like 18 um yeah you know ever since i started going out and clubbing um like when i first got when i first started clubbing because i didn't i didn't really drink too much when i was uh 18 just because i was really thrifty and i'd prefer to go and travel Yes. And, and especially because, like, I'll, I'll drink it when I'm overseas because it's cheap, but in Australia, um, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pay $20 for a cocktail, you know. Um, yeah. And so I would drive to the valley. I would go by myself and I would just go directly to a dance floor. I'd go to, like, you know, three or four clubs, you know, any that had a free door fee, and I would just go there. I'd, I'd be dressed to the nines and I'd just go there, rip up the dance floor, like, and just, like, sweat. It would be, like, a, it would be, like, working out for me. I would go there, I would sweat, I would get all my energy out, I would bust out all of my dance moves, and then I'd go on to the next place. Like, I would just march in, tear up the dance floor. <laughs> go go tear up a different one. <laughs> go tear up a different one. Um, and so, like, even even with my partying, I was a bit systematic about it. <laughs> you had, like, a routine. Um, not like a routine, but, like, um... You know, like I didn't, I didn't care what anyone else thought, and I didn't care if I was there alone. Um, yeah. Like a lot of people will go out just with a group of their friends, and you know, sit around and not uh, feel okay enough to dance until they're like five beers in or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine because we're all dealing with our own stuff, and people have their own insecurities, and um, you can't escape what other people think of you. Um, but at the time, like you know, I was young and. I didn't know any of these people, and so I just yeah. went there and tore it up. Um, now that I've gotten into the music industry, I think I have a lot more insecurity because yeah. when I go out, I know everyone. and Yeah, um, I know what you mean. <laughs> and my actions have an impact on my career. So, yeah. you know, like if, I, if my dance moves are too wild and <laughs> too I, wild, look, yeah. I look silly, then there are some promoters and things who will judge me for that. Yeah. Um, and so I do feel that and it's hard to escape. And, um, you know, that extends to other things. It extends to everything you say and everything that comes out of your mouth. And um, especially when I first entered the music industry, it was a bit more um, confronting for me. Yep. Whereas now I've learned to deal with it. I've, I've learned to give um, less of a shit what people, what people think of me because yeah, yeah. like I've accepted that I'm – a bit weird and a bit eccentric. And Everyone's then, a bit weird. I know, but I'm like, definitely a bit weird as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but kind of I think leaning into that will make me a better artist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I always say normal's boring, especially in the art world, you know, like you don't want it to be normal kind of stuff. So, like, 
but how did you make that? Because I really want to know how you made that transition from playing at Rick's to changing to like more of a techno. Was it a gradual progression from this gig to that gig to this place? Yes. Or was it like exactly. a, all of a sudden someone said, can you play this for me? And you went, oh, sure. And so how did that happen? Um, I guess a mix of both. Like um, from spinning, and I was, you know, I played on every dance floor at Rick's at some stage. And so I did have a pretty vast library of things on my sleeve. Like at Rick's we took requests. Like if someone requested a track, it was fairly likely that I had it. And if I yeah. didn't, I would look it up on Spotify and just play it like through Spotify yeah. and I would write it down and download it when I got home. So I'd have it for the next time. Yeah. And like, you'd have people coming in, like there was this one chick and like, she was there every, like she was there every time I was there. She was there every yeah. single Saturday. I don't know if she liked my music specifically or just the club. Yeah. Um, but she would ask, she would request the strokes like five times a night. She would, I, I, I would play one and immediately after she would, she would be like, that was, aw- that was awesome. Can you play another strokes track? And I was like, can you just play their greatest hits album? Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, babe, I got you, you know, like, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for you. Like, we're in this together. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, you, there's a limit to how many, you, like, you can't just play their entire discography. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it did, suit the, it did suit the environment. But, you know, I took requests. And so um, my music library grew, grew vastly. And, yeah. you know, when I first started, um, like, when I was a teenager, this was before Spotify mm-hmm. and streaming platforms. And so... Um, you know, just to listen to music like on my phone or on like an MP3 player, I would download everything. And so even before that, I had a, um, you know, a, a library of music that I liked. Mm. And so um, I kind of took that and went gig to gig and would curate the music that I was playing based on the gig. So, you know, I, I played at the Foundry for a long time. Like they have um, bands and then they have like um, DJs after those bands, like, you know, every Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday sort of thing. And so, you know, I was a resident there for a bit and, you know, and then just moving on to um, any other gigs that I could get. And some called for a more electronic style, which yeah. I was very happy about because I loved house and techno. Yeah. Um, and so I just eventually, I just continually got um, more and more gigs in which I had the freedom to be closer to the sort of style that I was really interested in. And, you know, and then eventually I was playing at Capulet and playing music that was so central to the music that I love um and yeah it just got closer and closer and now I feel like um the music that I'm playing is the music that I really like and I'm really proud of what I'm putting forth yeah that's awesome yeah and so is that the same then with production and stuff like how long have you been producing for now since I started DJing so about five years but it's not as though I've been um, super consistent within that five years. Like yeah. there, there have been times where I haven't produced you, for, yeah. you know, a couple of months sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I don't think I'm the best producer. Like Ableton is such a complex program that I don't yeah. think I'll ever know it inside out. Um, oh, you will eventually. Another 20 years working at it. I'll give it 50, you know. Um, <laughs> give it 50. You know, read the you, manual then. Read the manual. That's what it's about. I have read the manual, but, like, well. you know. <laughs> You know, like you can get into Max for Live and you can start oh, um, Max for Live, so you, good. Like you can start coding your own synthesizer and basically yeah. like creating your own synthesizers. And that's one of the, that's one of the beautiful things about it is that like I don't think you know unless you're the like I don't I don't I I would be scarce to find anyone who's a master in Ableton just because it's so varied. You might be a master in a specific aspect of Ableton, but yeah. there's just so much in it yeah. um, that you can go on these rabbit holes 
seemingly forever and that excites me because I'm the sort of person where if something isn't challenging, I'll get bored of it. And quit. Yeah. And so um, I can see a future of, for myself in Ableton. And, you know, even if I don't, you know, gain commercial success and, you know, become like yep. a pop star or, or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. like I'll always be in Ableton making things that I like to make. I always like it that like a, like with Ableton and everything, there's always something new to learn. Like mm. I love learning. Uh-huh. And so there's no real end to it. It's like Ableton or, or production in general. It's like, I always talk, me and Butters, we always say, like, it's like opening a can of worms. Everything just keeps coming out. There's so much more to learn, like, the whole way. Um, So, yeah, so the kind of music you're making at the moment is, how would you describe it? Um, A lot of cast and techno, mostly. Yeah. Like, this track I was collaborating with PH Zero on last night, very much, like, melodic house. Um, Yeah. You know, really, like, slides into that category well. And I feel like it's very descriptive, particularly of the music I'm DJing. Sometimes, yep. like, uh, a lot of the production I've been working on for the past couple of years has more fitted into the things that I perform when I play live. And that yep. stuff is a bit more experimental, electronic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say just, like, you know, it, it fits into electronic. It, it's hard to uh, subcategorize it too much. It has elements of techno. It has elements of ambient. And, yep. like, those two genres are on the other, like, opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it has very clear elements of both and kind of throughout a set, like when I do a live set, it'll start out like really soft, like there's just like one element, you know, just like one note on a synthesizer. Um, And it will just build and grow and transform until like when you're at the end of it, like it's, you know, almost techno and it's hard and everyone's like up grooving. But like people are going to like, you know, sitting on the ground in a circle to like a heaving dance floor in the space of like yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah, um, it's the journey. It's taking you from point A to point B almost. It's definitely the journey. And, you know, when you are producing and when you are playing a live set, you do have complete control over your performance. When you're DJing, you have a responsibility to the dance floor and you have a responsibility yeah. to the venue and to the night to have what you're playing fit in and to... um continue that driving um element that feeds the dance floor and yeah. that is really important and i take that role very seriously like yeah if, like if i'm on an opening slot i yeah, take you've got to understand what i take the, what opening, the goal is exactly like i take the opening slot just as important as i do a headline slot yeah because that has a very important place within the night um you're setting the you're setting the the scene for the whole night exactly you know? but when you're doing a live set um you're booked because they want you. Yeah. They want whatever you're doing and they know that it'll be whatever it is that you're doing. Like, you know, they're not, yeah. they're not asking you for a specific genre or whatever. Um, they want you to play you. Yeah. And so you have a lot of freedom and control over your performance to get experimental and to um, do your weird things and to bust out your crazy dance moves yeah. and to get your um, coconut and your and to, yeah, metal tube yeah, and, and bells and yeah, your sample them. Bell and, <laughs> and, um, yeah, you have a lot more freedom and that's really satisfying. Um, so is that where you want to go to? Like curate eventually? the entire performance. So is that, would that be the goal to just be able to like just do that or is it like you, you love both? No, both I, I, I think of myself as being fundamentally multi like and transdisciplinary in my yeah. – um, in what I do, yeah. I think I'd get uh, bored if I only had one project and 
I really love the live stuff. Um, yeah. It's really challenging. It's so challenging because you've got so many moving parts and yeah, there exactly. are so many things that can <laughs> so go wrong. things that can go wrong. And That's what I was going to say, yeah. And, like, you know, sometimes you're there and, like, you see something going wrong and you have to prevent it before it, before it does. Yeah. And, like, you might have to, like, reroute things. And, like, it's, it's clusterfucks sometimes. Yeah. Um, but you do it and it always works out fine. And, yeah. you know, you you move on and you, and you grow from it. And so it's very, it's very challenging to do these live sets, I find. Um, but... Um, I really love DJing because it is less stressful than yeah. live performance. <laughs> I always say it's fun. DJing's fun. It's a lot more fun and you don't have like 40 kilos of gear to drag with you and to set up and, you yeah. know, you're not thinking about how the acoustics of the room will impact the guy playing the live bass that you've brought with you. Yeah. And so um you have more freedom to have fun and to put and to cast those spells on the girls yeah. in the front row. Yeah. And also to travel. Like it's really hard to travel. Um and like you obviously do you can do a tour, particularly if you're driving. Um yeah. but I never want to put a double bass on a plane. That sounds like, nah, a, like that sounds, sounds like a bad time. And so um you know like I DJing is really easy to travel with because yeah. essentially all you need is your headphones and yeah. your USB and the connector that goes on the end of your headphones yeah. and, you know, to arrive uh, well-rested and yeah. sober. Yeah. Which a lot of people struggle arrive with. Arrive sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah, arrive <laughs> sober. Um, which a lot of people struggle with, but, you know, they always get there in the end. And yeah, so, you, like, you know, you, you know, you can do six gigs a weekend and you can play for, like, you know, multiple hours like these – um, and flying down to Victoria to play in the snow um, this weekend, and it's like two three and a half hour sets on like over two nights, yeah. um, which is awesome because it's um, paying really well, and I get yeah. to play in the snow. And yeah. I've never played in the snow before. I haven't. Well, even, awesome. I haven't even That's been to be the fun. snow since I was like, um, yeah, for like a decade or something, um, and like I've never skied. And so I'm really like I'm, yeah I'm so excited to go down there. Like, I'm so Are you gonna go fortunate. I'm gonna go skiing. Awesome. After your sense though. Yeah yeah yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be terrible. Like just injure yourself before you could play. Yeah, because it's like a six hour drive from Melbourne, and so um, we'll spend a couple of days afterwards having a yeah. bit of a relax and a bit of a, a mini holiday. Because I find that as, as an artist, it's really hard to justify taking time off. <coughs> and so like when you can, you always have to just like seize the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I'm so excited just playing the snow because, yeah. like, for people who have seen kind of like my digital presence, I very much go for an a more of an icy aesthetic. I get um, it, yeah. And like like mountains and water and glaciers, like are some of the things that I think are just the most beautiful in the world. Yeah. Um, and you know, for a long time, I had this like icy platinum hair and would you know do yeah. these things with like a lot of textures and, and like my clothing and everything, like get, get all these textures and 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 go for a color scheme that was a bit more uh, cool toned. Um, yeah. And now my color palette has expanded a bit. Like it, for those who are just my favorite colors, uh, I mean like black. Obviously, I <laughs> yeah. like if you've ever seen me. Anywhere, I'm almost always wearing all. She's black. wearing all black right now. I'm wearing all black right now. <laughs> I've got this like even um, a black coat, furry coat, fake fur, obviously fake fur. Um, but it's really soft. Like I like, yeah. I like everything I wear to be soft, and that's why I really like op shopping because yeah, you get like the jeans that I'm wearing today mm. cost me two dollars from the thrift store, and yeah. they were already worn in. Yeah, and they're my favorite jeans. Like they're just so soft. Yeah, and they feel so good on my skin. 
and there were two dollars, and I'm just yeah. so happy about them. I yeah. really think I really care. <laughs> She's got the biggest smile right now. <laughs> but I can't, you know. Um, and like you know, the shirts that I wear, like again, like from from op shops, I go to like the men's section and get like just a men's extra large t-shirt because I like the way it drapes in my body because I have like my shoulders are fairly broad and pointy and so I find that for my particular body type because I'm you know fairly slender or whatever um I can wear baggy things and they just kind of like drape down from my pointy shoulders um and so yeah I just love getting extra large men's t-shirts from the other shop (laughs) and and because you know because some fat guy has you know worn it for five years before I've gotten yeah. here, they're always really soft. <laughs> and I love, I love soft things. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's really awesome. And so, yeah, like I, but you know, I do go for more of an icy aesthetic. Like if I do photo shoots and things, I'll wear a lot of, um, white or like a light blue or cool tones. Um, but I've kind of expanded and, you know, uh, go into like some lilac, some like crimson, orange, um, particularly in like backgrounds and things, um, yeah. some, some rust, like a, a rusty red. Yeah. Um, and then like a lot of white and a lot of contrasting black and yeah. white, like one of, in a, in a, in a photograph, one of the, uh, things that I like a lot in terms of composition is a black and white photograph that doesn't have a black and white filter on it, but it has just been set up where everything in the shot is either black, black and white. Yeah. And so you do have... Uh, these elements of colour because the light is coming in, you know, you might have like a crimson light yeah. coming in from one side and like a blue or a, a purple, especially if you get natural lighting around sunset. Um, but the actual composition of the shot is very subdued yeah. and very neutral. Like I I don't really like a lot of things that um, are kind of very garish or very uh, – I want to say tacky, but that's not the right word. Yeah. Um, just like bright and out there. Like I have a, I have a strong hatred for neon. Like that can (laughs) get fucked. Um, (laughs) And like, if you wear neon in front of me, I will think less of you. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to make sure I wear neon sometime when you're out. Like it just tells me that you have no taste. (laughs) Um, Yes. Because, you know, it's not, because it's not a cheap thing. It's not a money thing. Like you can get, designer things that uh, are neon and you can yeah. spend like hundreds of dollars on things that are yeah. neon or, you know, I can spend $4 on my op shop black t-shirt. Yeah. Um, but, um, it just makes my eyes hurt. Yeah. And so, I totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. And like you see it a lot in dwarfs and like people, you know, people still look good because they're displaying these parts of their personality. And yeah. one thing that I, you know, do try and reconcile, I mean, like my, like my previous statement was very like critical and I, you know, like, I mean like that's, that's a, that's a, a massive exaggeration, you know, yeah. like I'm not going to like, um, actually judge you. Like, yeah. like, like just because I dislike your outfit doesn't mean yeah, yeah, like, I'm yeah. not going to be your friend or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm not like super. I'm just going to question your fashion style. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Like maybe I wouldn't wear your outfit, but yeah. like that doesn't actually mean anything. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's so superficial. Yeah. Um, but like, um, it's a, it's a representation of you. And if you feel excited and lively and you want to wear um, things that represent how you feel on the inside, yeah. then I think that's beautiful and that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's like with genres of music. Like, there are some genres of music that I don't personally get into, but yeah. I recognise that yeah. they are still quality forms yeah. of music. You like, understand I can, it. You I can, can appreciate it. I can appreciate it. I can appreciate the detail. I can, can appreciate the time that went into it. Um, and so... Yeah, like, ev- like everything has a place and different things cater to different 
to the to the tastes of different people. Yeah. And so, you know, there are some, um, you know, uh, kayak styles and aesthetics and, and things that I opt for, like in my fashion line and things. Um, and, you know, I'm catering to a very specific um, niche for but part of the market, I think. Yeah. You know, not everyone wants to wear all black every day. No, um, no, that's it, yeah. yeah. Especially in Brisbane, like, you know, it's very sunny weather. Yeah. Um, you know, people wear a lot of bright colours. And, and I wear... Um, bright colors but when i do it's head to, like when I, I i often do things in extreme like yeah if i wear white, <laughs> all black or all color yeah like if i wear white i'm wearing like head to toe white like tom tom um but if i'm wearing like colors like I'll, I'll wear everything colors you know like i recently um found this material that was like this beautiful like um like blues pinks and crimson sort of colors like a little a, a, a drop of green in there um, it was this beautiful pattern yeah. in like this um kind of like satiny silky sort of material, and I made this like shirt and this um kind of like skirt short thing sh- shorts sort of yeah. I just made this kind of I, I draped the material over myself and I made some sort of outfit because I I wanted to yeah. perform as I played I played um at this doof this really small festival this rave down in northern New South Wales a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was called Soundflower, and it was an amazing event. Like someone who put it on is an, a fantastic event coordinator. Um, yeah. So much, like so much love, so much respect for the things that she's doing. Um, but it was an event that called for a more lively version of yeah. myself, and I made flowery, bright, yeah, a more yeah. flowery version of myself. And so I made an outfit that um, represented that. And so, like, I, I, I think color has a really important place. Um, but I think it goes back to like my minimalism sort of roots. Um, like I essentially have a uniform and I yeah. feel really confident and secure within that uniform. Yep. Um, and so like, you know, the thing, the things that I wear, like I, I feel comfortable knowing that every day I'm going to put on black jeans and a black t-shirt, um, you know, like, and be really drapey and still look, um, <coughs> excuse me, and still look cool and still look, yeah. um, the way that I want to be represented, but it's the same every day, and that makes me feel secure in that. Yeah. Like I, I, like I know what's happening. I know what my day is going to hold. Um, I'm going to put on my uniform and and kill this day. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Well, man, I I've loved, I've loved all the. Oh, what were you going to say? Oh, I, think, else? I don't know. I think a lot of the minimalism and the uniform stuff comes back to traveling as well. Yeah. Because like I spend a lot of time like you know backpacking around Asia or Europe or the Middle East or wherever it is. And you need garments that, like, one of the reasons I wear all black is that everything goes with everything. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's no... Uh, yeah, there's no clashes. There's no clashes. Color. And so, like, everything goes with everything. And you can fit a small amount of clothing in the bottom of your backpack and have it not take up much weight or room yeah. Yeah. and um, still look good. And so I, I very much subscribe to the idea of a uniform and you know, decision fatigue and a lot yeah. of those concepts. That, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man, I've really loved this chat. I know you need to get going because uh, you've got other things to do and your radio show and stuff. Um, but, I, yeah, I love that we even got into a little bit of physics and stuff. I wasn't expecting <laughs> that. I wasn't expecting that, but now I've got, like, an interesting evening um, mm. sorted for me to look at that E8 stuff. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming in. And um, so I, I yeah. want to know so we can blast it out. How can we find... Your socials, your music, your label, the um, the radio, you know, station um, hyperfluid that you have. Yeah. What's so, all, how do we find you? Yeah, so anywhere on the internet, you know, if you 
for my music, type in Avaxa. That's A-V-A-X-A. Yep. Um, you know, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, Mixcloud, Twitter. I'm on everywhere. Yeah. Um, with like, I have a website you can go to. It's nothing fancy, but it's there. Um, yeah. With the with the fashion label, same thing. Like you can go to zuvtarkt.com. That's Z-U-V-T-A-R-K-T. You can check out the things that I'm working on. You can um, pre-order designs and everything. Um, you can send me a message if there's something specific that you want, and I'll make you. I'll make you something specifically. Awesome. Um, That's so cool. Custom. Yeah. Custom. Bespoke. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, bespoke. Yeah. And you know, with Hyperfluid, it's just Hyperfluid Radio on, um, you know, Facebook or all the all the socials. I suppose if you go to the four triple Z website, yeah, it'll, there'll be links there as well. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot yeah. of programs on. Four triple Z, and yeah. you know on the main page it kind of like rotates through the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think Facebook is the best way to hit us up because everything gets posted there, and so yeah. every week, um, it'll it'll be posted. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like uh, yeah, just typing in any of those names online, like Hyperfluid, H I H Y P E R F L U I D. Y-P-E-R-F-L-U-I-D. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate, you know, just sitting down and having a chat and also getting to know you better and, yeah, um, yeah. well, this was I, cool I to really, like, I really to, enjoyed it. yeah, yeah. Really to, to hear about, that's what, the thing I love about this show is, um, you know, some of the episodes we go really deep into music with people, but sometimes we get to hear other things that are really interesting that are cool, um, about other people. And like, like I said, now I've got something to watch this tonight. So definitely, <laughs> and like, you know, there, awesome. are, there are so many parts of a person and I think, Sometimes when you see artists, you only see the things that they're kind of exactly. creating exactly. or putting forth and being able to gain an understanding about the headspace or where it comes from or what has led them to do certain things is um, really important. Or, you know, I know I can really appreciate um, watching interviews or listening to podcasts with yeah. people that I yeah. um, am interested in. So I, 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 I just really appreciate the, the opportunity to, you know, tell my story and and get the positive vibes out there and yeah um, that's awesome you know uh speak about the values that i i consider really important and 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 just spread some positivity because there's so much negativity in the world you know exactly. in the news and, yeah. and everything and i feel like a lot of the creative industries um and a lot of the things that we spoke about send a more positive Im- um message mm. that's really crucial for me awesome well first female guest I think it was an awesome podcast as well. So that that's uh, I think you did well. <laughs> you did yourself proud um, as the first female guest. But Mate, um, I'm just I'm just a, a, a non gender specific being, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like going. It's through, funny. Well, Rosie like Kate was going to be as a human. Um, Rosie Kate was. Um, there's, there's, jump there's, on. there's no real difference. Um, I know. I think uh, like a lot of people really pay a lot of attention to it because, particularly in my music, when I play, often I'm the first female DJ that. Um, someone has 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 seen or some, heard that someone has um, seen perform, and sometimes I feel like I have a responsibility to my gender to not screw up, to not. No, not, no, to not you always do a great down. job. Yeah, just, but like sometimes I don't. I make mistakes, just like yeah, like like, anyone. like every um, DJ and artist that I've looked up to, like I've seen them make mistakes before. Like, yeah, and I'm no above that. Like I, I make yeah. mistakes. Um, but when I do make mistakes, sometimes I feel like I am letting females in general down but there really is like not much difference i um i don't think that it needs to be so segregated 
No, I, I don't think so either. It's just that I've massive, had people say to me like, "Oh, you've had you haven't had any girls on the show," and I'm like, "Well, people have fallen through. There has been people I've lined up." So, um, I mean, like there, there's a rise recently, like of people putting on all female events. Yeah, I've and so. and I have a bit of an issue with that as well because it's putting us on a pedestal and it's saying that we yeah. are somehow different from all the guys yeah, that are out yeah. there when we are running the same race, we are putting yeah. out the same music, and we are just as you know, um, competent and talented as a lot of the guys out there. Yeah. And so... Maybe even more some people. Well, it depends on the person. And yeah, so, like, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of these, you know, female-only events continue to segregate the community when what I really value um, within lineups is just normalising yeah. um, males and females yeah, on lineups. just a good lineup of artists. Just a good lineup of artists. Yeah. And, um... You know, just just normalizing women on the women on the lineup, um, and so you know, like when I but I but I do agree. Like when you have these, like when you have a, an a, an event series that consistently, like you know, month month on month on month, like every single time, it's an all male lineup. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to put a chick on just because she's a chick. Yeah. It requires that they look into themselves and look at why. They are only putting guys in their lineups. Yeah, yeah. Is it because they don't know of any females out there? Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then that's a problem within them because there are so many really talented exactly. females out there. And like yeah. Brisbane has a small community, but there are so many really talented females within the community. And so if you have an all um, male lineup, you're not looking hard enough. You're yeah. not, um, you know, maybe sub, maybe. Um, ex, you know, consciously, you you may not have any issues with males and females, but maybe subconsciously, because you know we're we're built we're we're built up in a society that um kind of you know inherently spills off uh, these differences, and so maybe you're just um a product of the society that you've been raised in, and yeah. that subconsciously is making you uh a little bit more closed off to the talented females that are in your community. And that requires some looking at. But yeah. it doesn't mean that you need to put a chick on just because she's a chick. No, no. And it definitely doesn't mean that you need to make a lineup of all girls. It yeah. just means that you you need to consider why you're doing the things that you're doing. Yeah. And see if um, you can make some small and incremental steps to make your lineups better yeah. by including some really talented females. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, gender non-binary folk and transgender folk and, like, yeah. you know, and just, just humans because, like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I'm a female. I'm just a human. Exactly. Doing some cool shit. And I want to share That's that cool it. shit with people. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right, thanks for coming in. Um, Thank I you think so much for having me. When, <coughs> when are you back from uh, your overseas stint? Um, I'm going to leave um, at the start, mid-August, and I'll be yeah. back um, – just before October, I have some interesting um, gigs in the pipeline for the start of October um, in Brisbane cool. and around Australia. Um, so I'll be back then and I'm going to play at um, Elements Festival on the yeah. 20th of October. So if anyone's going to Elements Festival, hit me up, you know, send me a message, tell me that you're yeah. going and I'd, I'd love to, you know, have a chat, come up and say hi. Um, and yeah, I'd love to meet you all. Awesome. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Hopefully so we'll get you back soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Cheers. There you go, guys. How good was that? I mean, the stuff on physics was just awesome. Um, I love that, and I love that. I love that Lena 
like, you know, she bit back at me when I was sort of saying the stuff about the first female guest. So um, I agree with you, um, Lena. It's uh, it's definitely doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. So if you want to follow Avaxa on her socials, on Instagram, it's at A-V-A-X-A-A. So there's two A's at the end. Uh, if you do want to look for her on, say, Facebook, though, it's just A-V-A-X-A. So it's Avaxa. That's how it's spelt. And you should be able to find her on most platforms pretty easily by searching for that. So definitely make sure you check out Lena's clothing label or fashion label. It's called Zuvtakt. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. That's what she said on the episode. So it's spelled Z-U-V-T-A-R-K-T. So you can look that up on uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, and if you search that, you should be able to find it. So that's Z-U-V-T-R-A-K-T. Jeez. (laughs) I'll start that again. Z-U-V-T-A-R-K-T. So make sure you check that out if you want a cape or if you just want to check out her fashion, like, you know, just check it out and see what you think. As always, check out all my socials at BoyKingKoi on everything. Like, subscribe, share, tell a friend about Net this episode or the podcast if you really enjoyed it. Um, next week, actually on the show, we have, I'm going to drop two episodes. It's going to be a double episode drop or a double drop as some of you guys might like to call it. Um, we've got both of the winners of the Brisbane Your Shot cont- uh, competition. So um, I've got the episode with uh, JX who won the wild card and I've also got the episode with Shaw who won the main contestant one. So we're going to have a chat to them about you know their experience through what through your uh, your shot for both the wild card and the normal contestants, and yeah, just see their journey and what they're into, um, you know, and and everything about them, uh, and yeah, really really honing in on like the your shot experience for anyone out there who might want to you know get involved and and have a crack at it one year. All right, guys, so make sure you take care wherever you are. You're having a great day or night, and I'll see you guys soon for the next episode.